So when I was in college, a group of friends and I decided to take a road trip to Boulder, Colorado. We thought it would be a good idea to drive 900 miles, which it was a good idea, to watch Baylor play University of Colorado, the beautiful Folsom Field there, kind of nestled in the Rocky Mountains, and it was great. But as we get there, we're tired. It's been a long night in the car, and so we stopped to eat some, uh, some dinner, or some lunch, rather. And so we're eating, it's at this pizza place, and then as the waitress comes to bring our checks, this old familiar feeling besets upon my weary little soul. I check the front, the back, do like a quick look under the table. At this point, my friends know exactly what is going on. I cannot find my wallet. And so I search everywhere. They help me, we look under the table, we ask the waitress, we go search the car, We searched the bathroom and the bathroom was nasty and sticky and like on the floor looking for my wallet. We are looking everywhere. One of my friends picks up my tab and we're ready to declare this a total loss. And then another buddy says, well, hey, why don't you check the pockets of your jacket? And I'm like, okay, what kind of bozo searches a bathroom floor without having previously checked the pockets of their jacket? But to appease the taunting crowd, I put my hands into my jacket, and out came my wallet. (laughs) Of course, and my friends still to this day, they give me so much grief about that, and deservedly so. But, But to be fair, I had searched everywhere. Problem was in all the wrong places. You know, last week, Gary kicked off a series that we're calling Life in the spirit. And, and, and he really laid sort of the groundwork. He, he almost called it the preamble to this idea that within our souls, there is a very present battle between the flesh and the spirit. And, and, and then this week and, and for the next couple weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of pivot. And instead of talking about what it means to continue to have that battle, I guess what you could say we'll continue to talk about that, but particularly the angle will be that what the rest of Galatians 5 says, that if we walk in the spirit, there are certain fruit, fruit of the spirit that become true of us. And and I don't wanna assume that everyone knows what we mean when we say a fruit of the spirit. You might be here for the first time or the first time in a long time and you're thinking if you keep talking about fruit of spirit and don't say what it is, then I'm never gonna come back. So let me define it for you. A fruit of the spirit is a characteristic of walking in the spirit that is displayed in our lives as we follow the teachings and examples of Jesus. It is the outcome of discipleship, and it is Christ being formed in us. And you can read about all these fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, love and joy and peace and patience, and and all of these are fruits that God begins to grow and harvest in our lives when we walk in the Spirit. And this morning, we're talking about joy. And I struggled last night, friends, I thought, how am I supposed to talk about joy after the events that transpired yesterday? But as I sat and prayed, the Lord made one thing very clear. Of course. Of course, in your sovereignty and your timing, there may be no better topic in my mind to talk about than joy. And the reason I say that, in light of all that happened yesterday, in light of all that is happening in our world, we need to be reminded that there is no other place, there is no other source 
There is nowhere we can find the joy that we desperately crave apart from the Father. And so with that, we move forward this morning talking about joy, being reminded that the joy of the Lord is present and available even in the darkest nights of the soul. And you might be wondering this morning, maybe questioning, I should say, can I even find joy, right? Can I even find joy? Or, or, or maybe if, if you're not asking that question, maybe you're asking the question, how do I get more joy? How do I be more joyful? And, and joy is one of, those, one of those things that not many people in this room would not raise their hand for an extra measure or two of joy, right? I mean, that's natural. You have been wired to crave and have, have an appetite for joy. But how many of you would describe yourself as a real joyful person? Okay, a few, but not many of us. And by the way, I'm raising my hand to give you instructions on what it looks like to raise your hand, not because I actually am someone that would describe myself as joyful. And so we all want more joy. We, we all have this innate desire and craving for more joy, yet most of us say we're not naturally super joyful people or it might not be at the top of the adjective list to describe us, and I don't think that's because we're a bunch of grumpy, Grinch-like, just mean people, but I think it's because we search for joy, but in all the wrong places. And so this morning, if you're sick of playing a hide-and-seek game with joy, always on the hunt, looking for what next thing, what next gadget, what next trip might bring you the joy that you feel like you so desperately need, then let's probe scriptures. Let's press in and see if we can find where true joy is, where true joy belongs. And to do that, we're gonna look at the book of Philippians, particularly the fourth chapter. And the interesting thing about Philippians is that its reputation is kind of as the most joyful book in the Bible. Where do I get that from? Well, it's only 104 verses, and in those 104 verses, the word joy or rejoice is used 16 different times. And so, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You know when your parents call you by your middle name, you know it's bad, right? Like Pierce David, Wells Lawrence, right? I kind of think Paul is middle naming us a little bit here. And the reason I say that is because when he says rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. He is wanting us to obviously not miss this, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And you see that word always, it troubles me a little bit because my wife and I learned a really helpful tip in premarital counseling about navigating marital conflict. And the tip is to avoid the words always and never, right? Makes sense. Those are escalating words. And so naturally, I'll just be so honest and kind of show you my cards. When I read this, I'm thinking, Paul, you're not supposed to use the word always, okay? That's an escalating word, don't you know? And then the second part is, and how is that even possible, 
right? Like, how can we truly rejoice always? Phoebe on Friends is not a real person, okay? No one can ever be truly that happy. No one can be happy all the time. I'll give you that. And it's not possible because for the most part, happiness is based on circumstances. And for most of us this morning, circumstances are not looking very fertile for happiness. And we're navigating disobedient children, marital conflict, job loss, financial fallout, friendships. None of this is suitable ground for happiness because happiness is always based on circumstances. But happiness and joy, we know, are not the same. They might be byproducts of one another, but at their core, they're different. Because happiness is a feeling, and it's largely motivated and moved by circumstances. If circumstances are good, happiness goes up. Circumstances are bad, happiness goes down. But joy, joy is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a posture. It's a disposition. It's a way of life that, is, that motivates and moves circumstances. Joy is independent of circumstances. And what's interesting, and, and where I think in, in my mind this really starts to make sense, if, if you look at the Greek word for joy, it's this word kara, okay? And then what's even more interesting and fascinating in my nerdy little brain is if you look at the Greek word for grace, which is karas. And so joy is essentially derived in the Greek language from the word grace. By grace, we have a capacity for joy. Maybe the best definition for joy, particularly in the language that Paul was writing to help us understand in the English is a joy that comes from an awareness of God's grace. Let that, let that just hit you one more time. A joy that comes from an awareness of God's grace. And so suddenly, rejoicing in the Lord always really is a guarantee that comes as we walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, we remain aware of the grace of God that we are afforded through the actions of Christ on the cross. Rejoicing in the Lord is being someone who takes up residence in the constant, never-ending, unceasing grace of the Father. That sounds like something we can do all the time. And here's, here's what's so good. You can't find this joy anywhere else. And in fact, I looked for you on Google. I Googled how to find joy. And the first thing that popped up was one of those WikiHow articles. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like the real weird cheesy drawings and I thought they taught you how to like plunge your toilet, but apparently they also can answer deeply philosophical questions. But in this WikiHow article on how to find joy, it said things like address medical issues. All right, cool. I'll give you a chance, WikiHow. Sounds great. Except for... Um, what if I have a medical issue that can't be addressed? What if, what if there's a terminal illness? Then is, is joy not for me? Is joy only for those who have a perfect bill of health? Another one was navigate relationships that sap joy. Got it. Get the toxic people out. Except um, what if I'm kin to, married to, or raising like a crazy person? So what do I do then? Is joy only for people 
who have perfect relationships. Devote time to the things you love was another one. All right, we got this, right? Let's say I love to go, I don't, but let's say hypothetically, I love to go for a 30-minute jog every morning around Breckenridge Park. This is great. I get to devote this time to myself and I become more joyful, except for nine months ago, my wife told me she was pregnant and now we have a newborn baby and I don't have any time to devote to myself. In fact, the only time that I devote to anyone is this little like eight-inch thing that just pees and poops and wants to eat all the time. So can I only find joy if I am sort of self-absorbed and just keep devoting time to myself? You see, all this to say the world can give you a fine counterfeit version of joy because it's always gonna be based on a circumstance. If the circumstances work out in your favor, you will experience a temporary increase in joy. And when the circumstances cease to work in your favor, then there goes the happiness. But what is offered to those who rejoice in the Lord is a constant, steady waterfall of grace that that we don't get to just like visit on sort of a timeshare 10 days out of the year agreement, but we get to take up residence under and we get to dwell in the grace of God all of our days. And in that we find joy. So how do you rejoice always? How can you rejoice always? Well, you can rejoice as long as the grace of God is not in short supplies. And guess what, friends? It never will be. So that's how we rejoice always. We remain aware of the grace that God has given us. We find joy walking in grace. You know, when Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. It doesn't sound like he's given a whole lot of wiggle room here. And I say that because I think some of us need to understand that joy is not optional, right? I get being a a real bubbly kind of person. Some of that might be a little more personality driven, but, but joy is not optional. And frankly, there's probably some of us in the room who lack joy because we lack the gentleness that Paul says we should let be known evidently. And you say things like, well, I just kind of, you know, tell it like it is. I'm, yeah, I'm not gentle because I just cut straight to the point. You know, I don't really care what people think about me. Yeah, maybe, or maybe you just say hurtful things. Maybe you say hurtful things and your excuse for that is that you lack gentleness and you lack gentleness because you lack the joy of the Lord. Okay, let me, let me just be honest. And I think this is a little bit more maybe for the men in the room but gentleness doesn't make you weak. It makes you godly, okay? So you can go, you can work on your truck, you can hunt, you can kill all the animals. You can do all of that and still be manly. What? Not all the animals. I'm I'm pretty sure. Backtrack. We're gonna have to edit that out. I don't know, hunting, okay? <laughs> I see some people around here. If you need hunting advice, I can give you, I saw Chuck West earlier. He'll tell you everything you need to know. So you can do all those things. You can be a man. I'm not trying to diminish masculinity, but what I am trying to say is that gentleness doesn't make you weak. It makes you godly. We're gonna skip down uh, to verse eight. 
which is unfortunate because I love uh, what's happening in verses six and seven, and, and you should read it at some point. Maybe you can read it at lunch, which now means I'll need to read it at lunch if I'm gonna ask you to. So verse eight, we there? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, it might seem like moving from four to five and, and even through six and seven that Paul's kind of like, he's, he's sort of doing a little um, like Junior Miller Friday morning scatter shooting. That was hilarious if you're a P1. If not, you have no idea what I said. Richard said that would be funny and I feel like he just betrayed me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. She's never consulting him again. But here's the thing, it, it might seem like it, at first read through that it is random, but, but really I think there's something beautifully intertwined because what you think about and where you dwell is directly correlated to the joy you experience, right? I mean, I mean think about it. Finally, brothers and sisters, he's telling us things to think about, whatever is true. If you dwell on the truth of the gospel, Will you not find more joy as you ponder the grace that you didn't deserve? Or, or what about if, if you think about, if you dwell on what is pure, then you will find joy as, as you feed the spirit and not the flesh. Or if you dwell and if you think about whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, will you not find joy as you continually offer your thanksgiving and rejoicement to God? We find joy in obedience. And I think one of the biggest things that robs us of our joy is disobedience. Think about it like this. Your human body is made up of 60% water, okay? And if you exert yourself, if you exercise really hard or preach really hard, then you become thirsty and your body longs to be replenished by nutrients. And if you don't do that, then eventually your body will start to respond in an unnatural way. You might get a headache, get dizzy, right? You could eventually faint, pass out, and you become dehydrated. But if you've been made new in Christ and you are now walking with the Spirit, your soul has been rewired, right? And you now long to be replenished by walking in obedience so that you can bear much fruit. And when you walk in the flesh, when you walk in disobedience, right? When you neglect what is true, when you, when you ponder impurities and think about those kinds of things, when you refuse your praise to the Lord, then what you're doing is your soul is being deprived of the very spiritual nutrients that it now longs to drink in. And if you deprive your soul of the spiritual nutrients that it craves, then eventually you will become spiritually dehydrated and in spiritual dehydration, there is no joy and there is no obedience. So we find joy in obediently following the Lord. Look at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this 
because I am need. And, and we're gonna intentionally stop right there in the middle of verse 11. So this is really fascinating. I haven't got to share with you the context of Philippians yet, okay? Paul is actually writing, remember, really joyful book, from prison, okay? Or from some sort of jail. The, the reason I say some sort of is, is because it could have been house arrest. And the reason that we think about that is, is because he does have a visitor, this guy with a really sweet name, named Epaphroditus, comes and brings him gifts. You can read on in, in chapter four to proof me on the gifts. He brings him gifts and a letter from the church at Philippi. And, and yet notice the real gift for Paul, okay? We don't know what the gift was. I like to think of it as a lovely little edible arrangement, you know, or something that he had hand delivered from Philippi. But we don't know what the gift is, but it doesn't matter because look at what Paul finds his joy in, the renewed concern for him. You renewed your concern for me. For Paul, the joy comes from the concern. For Paul, the joy comes from knowing that his brothers and sisters in Philippi care for him. They wanna know him, they wanna hear him, they want an update on how he is doing. And, and I say all that because there is joy when we connect with each other's, with each other. Neuroscience has proven time and time again that our brain lights up whenever we have face-to-face -face interaction, okay? Did y'all hear me? Face-to-face, -face, not face-to-screen, to-screen-to-face, okay? Doesn't do the same thing. Make sure your brain neurons sad, actually, <laughs> right? But we love and are wired to connect. When we sit across someone at coffee, when we pull up a chair to our dinner table, when we get to go and, and hang out or play basketball with some friends, we love that our brains crave that. And you may think you're independent, but here's the problem. You're lying to yourself, okay? You're not. That's not how God made you. God made you and I with the same neurons, and he made all of us to reflect himself, and he is community in the Father and Son, Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we are also made for community. And, and, and look, Forget the science. Like, who, who cares about all that nerdy stuff, okay? We know that God created the mind. And we know that that is true because of what's in here, not because of what some scientists say. And what we know from in here, what we know from Paul's joy at the renewed concern that the church at Philippi has for him is that we were made to find joy in community. Okay, I know that you have times because I have them too when you don't wanna come here. Like, I don't wanna to go to church this morning. I don't wanna get out of bed. But then how often do you leave this place with just a fulfillment? Like, yeah, that was, I don't even have words, but that was good. Like, it, it was rich. It's because you're giving your soul what it craves. And your soul craves to be with the people in this room. It craves community. It craves face-to-face -face interaction with the brothers and sisters in Christ. We find joy in community. All right, let's keep looking at that second half of verse 11. We'll read through verse 12. For I've learned to be content whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. For Paul to be content in any and every situation, it means that he had to 
settle in to contentment. Remember where he is? In prison. Okay, so if anyone has the credibility to say what it is to be content in any and every situation, it's probably the guy who is saying that from prison, right? Kind of proves the point for himself, the very nature of where he is when he is writing these words. And contentment and joy are so strategically connected. Because just like disobedience robs you of your joy, close second, if not the number one thing that I think threatens our joy is a lack of contentment. And you know this, because how often do you think if I just had more stuff, if I just had more romance in my marriage, if my kids were just a little bit more obedient, if I just had more days for vacation, if I just had more money for vacation, then I would be content and then I would be joyful. I just need a little bit more. Let me ask you a question. And this is where it's not fun to be the person up here speaking because I've been wrestling with this question myself all week. But what else do you need? What else do you need? Scripture says that you were snatched from the gates of death and given a second chance a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, 157 chance, what else do you need? Because here's the reality, either Jesus is enough or he's not, okay? And I don't care what, what we sing in here, all these like, Jesus is enough, he's all I ever need. I don't care what you tell your life group, I don't care what you tell your kids, what does your heart say? Does your heart have more of an appetite for the flesh of the world or for the spirit? Does your heart crave the stuff or Jesus? It's a simple question. You want a litmus test for if you're walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh, what are you craving? What sounds good right now to your appetite? I wanna be crystal clear, crystal clear, that though we so often crave the flesh. And it seems like an impossible task set before us to walk into this, to walk into the spirit, especially when Paul is setting the example for us. It seems impossible, but notice there's a secret. There's a secret. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now here's the good thing about Paul. I don't think he was a very good secret keeper because he immediately spills the beans. Look at verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, the secret of contentment is we find it in the strength of the Lord. Left to our own strength, we will never choose contentment. We will never choose to walk in the spirit. We will always crave more. Left to our own strength, we will always have an appetite for our flesh. Left to our own strength, we will never find the joy that we so desperately search for. Yet, by his strength, by his strength alone, we can live in plenty or in want. We can walk in the spirit and we can to experience the joy of the Lord. But it's always gonna be by his strength. And ultimately for Paul, through the strength of the Father, arrived at such a place that the advancement of the gospel meant more to him than adequate accommodations, right? 
Because look at what Paul goes on to say, or goes on, said previously in chapter one, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Remember what happened to Paul? He's locked up, he's in prison, and yet whatever happens, all of this that has happened is an advancement for the name of Jesus. There is a joy that allows us to be content in every situation, in all situations, that comes from a desperation to see and know and help people experience Jesus. We can be people, you and I can be people. This isn't just like a Pauline thing. You and I can be people who relentlessly and boldly proclaim the gospel no matter the cost. And when it does cost you, because it will cost you, what will it cost me? I don't know, relationships, status, financial security, jobs, promotions. When it does cost you, we will say we count it all as joy. We count it all as joy. Because those things, those were merely the things of the world. Those were the hors d'oeuvres, right? I'm not gonna fill up on pimento cheese dip and deviled eggs because I am headed towards eternity. I am headed towards the entree. I am headed to when God says, come, everything is ready. So if you wanna look at the world, that's fine. I've got my eyes on eternity. And by the way, I'm bringing as many people with me through the spirit in me that are coming, that wanna come. Church, there's a contentment. There is a contentment that we can find through the strength of the Lord that solely desires and pursues the advancement of the name of Jesus. I believe that. I believe that. And so the last place we find joy is we find it in the advancement of the name of Jesus, of the gospel, no matter the circumstances. So where do we find joy? In the grace of the Lord and the coming of God's kingdom, we find it in obedience and community and in the advancement of the gospel. And for some of us in the room, as you inspect, as as Gary mentioned last week, as you inspect the fruit on your tree and, and you look at, I don't know, the joy pear or something, it's rotty. Right? It's, it's, it's feeling a little moldy, a little squishy. And there's frankly not a lot of evidence for joy in your life. Let me just invite you. You can't, you can't grow fruit yourself, okay? John 15, five, which is good news for you and I. It takes the pressure off of us. But I do think you can cultivate your soul in such a way that you walk in grace and therefore are able to receive what the Father wants to do. And so I challenge you, it's super simple. Spend the next five days or five days in a row and spend 15 minutes with the Lord. Okay, well, what do I do with the Lord? Well, read a little bit of the Bible, God's word, pray, just talk to God, and then tell God a few things that you're grateful for. I think there's a massive linkage between gratitude and joy, right? And and, and why do I I tell you to do that? Because my guess is, and and I could be wrong, and believe me, you'll tell me if I'm wrong probably, (laughs) but if you feel like your joy seems a little rotty, right? Then you're probably not spending time with the Father because if you want the joy of the Lord, if you want the joy of the Father, you gotta spend time with him. And so if you don't spend time with the Father, you're gonna have a harder time knowing the joy that comes from relationship with him. 
So five times this week, 15 minutes. I can't guarantee you that you'll feel a lot more joyful or whatever, but, but I think over time, as you make this a rhythm, I do think you will see that rotted fruit of joy begin to take on new life and begin to experience resurrection and healing that only Jesus can give us. But then there's others of us in the room who frankly, we don't know what this tree thing is. Our our soul is is like a desert, dry wasteland. And, And really, all you've known is gratifying the flesh, right? And in fact, if, if that's you in here, you're probably like, okay, that sounds like me, but you just said this super churchy word, like gratifying the flesh. What does that even mean? Yeah, I get it, sorry. But basically, you have lived your whole life, right? Doing what felt good to you, looking for happiness in all the places, right? You've searched everywhere. Maybe this morning you're realizing, yeah, maybe I've searched everywhere, but in all the wrong places. Maybe your hunt for joy looks a little bit like my hunt for wallet. Yeah, you searched everywhere. Up, down, left, right, bathroom, car. But did you search what's right here? Did you search what's right in front of you? For some of you, the invitation is to get off the bathroom floor and come find the joy that can only be found in the Father. To come and bask under the uninterrupted, ever-flowing waterfall of grace that we find in Jesus. And, and here's the beautiful, simple reality of this morning, and then we'll be done. You and I were born into a sinful, joyless world. And God can't be near sin. He hates sin, but the only thing he hates more than sin is the idea of eternity without you. And so he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life. Same joyless, miserable world that you and I live in, but Jesus did it perfectly. And when he did it perfectly, he died as a a martyr, he died as the Messiah, he died, but he didn't stay dead because he rose again three days later. And when he rose again, he conquered the grave. And now, Because of what Jesus did, you can get off the bathroom floor and you can stop looking everywhere for joy, for hope, for meaning, whatever it is you're looking for, and you're never gonna find it in the world, and you can find it in the name of Jesus through a relationship with the Father. That's the invitation this morning. That's the invitation. So what I'm gonna do, make this super simple. I think I'm supposed to pray and then dismiss you and thank you for coming, okay? So I'm gonna do those things. I don't know why you're laughing, this is funny. And then people are gonna start to walk out after I dismiss them and thank them for coming, okay? A lot of people are gonna walk out these four doors. But if you are here this morning and you're thinking, I feel like I've I've been on a constant game of hide and seek with joy, but I'm always losing and I'm never seeking. I'm always just running around on the hunt. Then just come into this next step room. It's this all glassed in room while people are leaving you can slip in there. And there's folks who wanna have a conversation with you, right? They're not gonna be weird. They're not gonna try and like sell you anything. They're not gonna try and twist your arm. They just wanna have a conversation with you. And believe me, if there's any, any remote part of you that wants to have a conversation, you should have a conversation because we as humans, we learn a lot better when we sit across from each other one-on-one than a guy like me talking to a bunch of people like this. So just go have the conversation. I'll pray and then we'll move.
Father, we, we love you and we know that because of your grace, we can have life with you, Lord. And so Father, I just simply pray, if there's anyone in this room that, that something is turning, stirring in them, Lord, would you give them just the courage, the strength to go and to just have a conversation, Lord? And Father, ultimately, I pray that as all of us move throughout our week, like Richard challenged us to, Lord, that as we enter into some hostile workplaces and conversations, Lord, that not in a detached, weird, cheesy way, Lord, but that we would be beacons of joy and hope in our community, Lord. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. You're dismissed.